Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Person Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is 515-602-9655. Podcast. We have a double header tonight. In the first portion, we have Father Paul Hulis from New Jersey, where I lived for 10 years. And then following that, we have our regular 7 p.m. broadcast of the Tangled Knot with Dev Rojas, except that Dev Rojas is not appearing tonight. There is a surprise guest host. So you'll want to tune in for that at 7 p.m. Now, back to our guest for the first portion of the show. We are very pleased to have Father Paul, excuse me, Father Paul Hulis. This is Father Paul. If you think I gave up a wife and kids to serve a piece of bread and some grape juice, then you're out of your mind. Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity in Holy Communion. In my latest podcast episode, I'm joined with Sam Shea and Annie Sarlo, who both work for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, and we discuss the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Google Father Paul, a holy mess, or go to Father Paul Hulis on YouTube. Check it out. Download, rate, review, comment, share. Peace! Father Paul, welcome to the show tonight. How are you doing? Thank you so much. Wow, what a what an introduction. I truly appreciate. It. Thanks for having me here. Now, we're the the honor is ours and um wow, you you brought you brought fun back to being a Catholic. You know, it's, it's this idea that we're supposed to Catholics we're supposed to be always walking around moping with our heads hung down all morose. That's not the Catholic church that that I belong to. To me it's a joy. It's it's the greatest joy of my life. Uh, to be to be Catholic, um, I mean, we have everything. We have the saints. We have the sacraments. We have we have Mary. We have adoration. We have all this great stuff. Why wouldn't anybody want to be a Catholic, Father? Uh, I think you know. I maybe it was Fulton Sheen that said something about um, that. There's not you know 100 people in the United States who um, 
hate the, the Catholic Church, but there are millions of people who hate what they think the Catholic Church uh, appears to be. So I right. don't think that a lot of people really have the correct uh, image or concept of the church. And don't get me wrong, certainly the Catholic Church has not helped in many areas uh, in its image here and there. You know, obviously there's been scandals through, all throughout history, not just in our But I don't know. You know, I wish I had, like, the number one answer of, like, why Catholicism doesn't seem joyful. I mean, it's certainly not God's fault. It's ours. You know, and I mean, there's so many different cultures, there's so many different ethnicities and personalities and, you know, uh, different demographics. You know, some mm-hmm. people are more joyful than others. Some uh, countries, uh, their faith has been persecuted. In other countries, their faith has thrived. So we're kind of like this big melting pot. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's so many different people, there's billions of people in this church. And but for some reason, at least in my lifetime in the United States of America, when I grew up, you know, Catholicism did not seem fun, joyful, loving. You know, it seemed kind of just boring and dry and more of like, well, you know, you're going to get in trouble. You better be careful. You know, right. God's watching, you know, stuff like that. So uh, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that I ended up meeting not just one or two, but many, many people who showed me the truth of what Catholicism, Christianity is really all about. And I hope to God to be able to do that for others. Amen. I saw on your Facebook page, uh, I thought it was very interesting, because I lived almost 10 years with my family in New Jersey. And uh, I see on your Facebook page, you're from Garfield, New Jersey, and you currently live in Harrison, New Jersey. So uh, it seems like one thing I remember about New Jersey is they weren't very imaginative with the names. You had Brick, New Jersey, and Wall, New Jersey, and uh, you know. And uh, I noticed that they're they're kind of hung up on this uh, past presidents. And uh, I, we lived in two places in New Jersey that were also named after past presidents. We we lived in uh, Jackson, named after President Jackson. And we also lived in Piscataway, which was named after President Piscataway. So um, it's just yeah, it's just, and I and I'm and I and I'm from Garfield, and you know a lot of people might think that that's named after the cat, but <laughs> it's named after a president. It's yeah. named after a president. You yeah. know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I wonder how many people caught that there isn't actually a President Piscataway. Uh, I, I just kind of slipped that by. But uh, where is I, you know what I didn't even I I didn't even pick up on that I didn't even pick that one right over my head and I should be the comic I'm sorry you got me yeah and uh, you know how long it took me after we lived there to be able to pronounce Piscataway <laughs> no and, I, I will, whenever I hear it I just think of pistachios even though that doesn't even sound remotely the same. And the interesting thing about it is that a lot of people don't realize this, but that's where Rutgers University is is located, and that's where Rutgers Stadium is located. In fact, I was working uh, one day at St. Peter's University Hospital, which is right there on the border uh, of New Brunswick and Piscataway. Well, uh Rutgers was playing host to the University of Notre Dame in the stadium. 
And, uh, of course, I'm the biggest, you know, Notre Dame fan in the world. So um, I was very, very jealous that I was not able to go to the game. But uh, a, a lot of people don't realize that it's a uh, that that it is the hometown of uh, Rutgers, and it is one considered one of the biggest uh, sports towns uh, in the state of New Jersey. So I guess there's a lot about New Jersey that people don't know. In fact, the very first college football game ever played was between Rutgers and Princeton. Really? Ever? Yep. The very first college well, football you know, game. I'm not the best to talk to about sports. I don't know, like, all the history and the statistics, but I will tell you that, you know, growing up in the city of Garfield, if you go, if you drive in the Garfield today, there's a sign that says, uh, welcome to Garfield, city of champions, and then it lists three different uh, men who ended up uh, be going to the NFL who used to play football for Garfield High School. So there was Wayne Corbett who played with the New York Jets, and then there was Louis Castillo, who I actually played with uh, when I was a kid. He ended up going to the San Diego Chargers. And then Miles Austin, who is uh, one of my brother's uh, closest friends, he ended up going to the Dallas Cowboys. And now I believe there's somebody, I don't know him personally, uh, but that uh, is a NASCAR racer. Uh, so I don't know. It's something in the water in Garfield. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Well, well, uh, well, we lived there. Uh, we lived uh, in Jackson, and then we lived in Piscataway. And the interesting thing about it is that um, those were my daughters, my oldest daughter's four years in high school, and her first two years in high school as a freshman and a sophomore, we lived in Jackson. And the Jackson football team during that time went 25-0 and and won two consecutive state championships. And then we moved to Piscataway uh, for her junior and senior season in high school. And in those two years, the Piscataway football team went 25-0 and and won two consecutive state championships. So she, she – uh, uh, I don't know. There's something about my, when my daughter was in high school that uh, it was a state championship football team every year that she was that she was there. And and uh, I mean, it's just certain areas that are just uh, just football factories. And the interesting thing, uh, Father, is that many of the of the high schools in New Jersey that are really factories are are the Catholic schools. Like like Bosco, like uh, uh, St. Peter's Prep, uh, a lot of those th- those big Catholic schools are 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 football machines in New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, I I went to Paramus Catholic High School, and my freshman year, we uh, the team won the state. Um, yeah. You know, and then uh, the following years after that, you know, uh, I think that it took a while, but eventually they became you know a, a really great again. So. You know, of course, you know, the rivalries with Paramus Catholic and then Don Bosco and Bergen Catholic and, you know, all that, all that stuff. Um, I didn't play myself. Uh, I did play football growing up, but I didn't play in high school. But I did end up becoming the mascot for our football team my senior year. Uh, so oh, wow. every year, every, every, everywhere that, that they went, I went. I was the mascot. I was the, the knight, the paladin. 
and it was mm-hmm. awesome. It was a really a really fun time uh, in my life. Yeah, a lot of spirit, a lot of spirit. Yeah, yeah sports are taken very seriously. Well, maybe not as serious as you know high school football in Texas, um, but yeah, yeah. The the you know the Catholic um, the Catholic community in the state of New Jersey is very very strong. Uh, I, I noticed that uh, what you know when I was there, and one of the most moving. Christmases that I can remember in in my life was um, Christmas Midnight Mass at St. Francis of, of, of Assisi Cathedral there in Metuchen. Have you been to that cathedral? I, you know, I can't say that I have. I really Ooh. haven't. I unfortunately I have not been to any cathedral in the state of New Jersey except for the except for my own archdiocese. Yeah. I've never been to Patterson, Metuchen. Trenton or Camden. I know that's sad, but I haven't. Okay. So back to this one, <laughs> back to this wonderful Catholic faith of ours. And um, boy, somebody asked me one time to, if I had to pick one word that I think best exemplifies what the treasure is of our Catholic faith or what the joy is of our Catholic faith, that one word that encapsulates it the most and and I knew what word to come up with, but I'm not going to tell you until I hear yours. I, I'm just curious as to yet yeah, you, you can only have one word. What what word would it be? One word to describe Catholicism? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Uh, well, I'm going to try not to pause too long, but I am going to say salvation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. You're only I, allowing I me one, and I'm not a man. I'm not a man <laughs> of 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 just one word, you know. So right. if I'm literally only allowed one uh, Catholic Church, I would think uh, salvation. People might say, "Well, what do you mean by that? How how can?" Well, obviously, if I can explain it, then you'll see what I mean. But uh, yeah. for me, yeah, that's what it is. Okay, uh, I mean, I can't argue with your choice. Uh, I, I just uh, I was curious to hear what you would choose and. Um, I, I can't argue with it. Well, because but, it's it's only in Catholicism that I encounter Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's only in the sacraments of the Eucharist, you know, and uh, you know, the sacrament of confession where I receive His mercy. Um, so it's through the Catholic Church where I have a living encounter with God Himself. So that's right. what I mean by salvation, and it's my way. It is my way. Um, you know, to, to heaven because Catholicism brings me to Christ, who is eternal life. Jesus Christ says, right. "This is eternal life to know uh, the one, the Son of the Father, and uh, to know the Father and Him whom His Son has He has sent." I just screwed that up, um, but it basically, in a nutshell, Jesus Himself said, "Salvation is to know Him." Right. Right. Um, well, let me put it to you this way. Somebody also put the question to me this way. They said, if you could only make one argument to say why Catholicism is the fullness of truth or why Catholicism is the, is the fullness of the, of the Christian faith, you can only make one argument. What argument would that be? There is literally an un, there's literally an unbroken line of succession ever since the 33 AD. There's literally been one holy Catholic and apostolic church since the time of Christ. 
There was not a split. There was not a split until the year 1050, which was over a thousand years later. There was no such thing as Protestant denominations until 500 years after that. So mm-hmm. if you just look it back from a historical standpoint, it's it's a no-brainer. Yep. Well, I'll give you a I'll give you a Fulton Sheen Bishop Fulton Sheen's answer, and then I'll then I have to come clean and give you my two answers. Right? Fair enough. Sure. Yep. <laughs> Fulton Sheen said that if he were if he didn't know what the true faith was today, now obviously. Fulton Sheen passed into eternity in, I believe it was 1979, right? I believe it was 1979. Uh, But Fulton Sheen said if he were looking for the true church and he didn't know what it was, he would look for the one church that the whole world hated. The one church that was opposed by all of the groups, the 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 atheist and and all of these other religions and the secularist and the and, and all these other groups have antagonism towards only one church. There's only one church that could possibly qualify as that church. I thought that was a very strong argument, and I thought your argument was a very very strong argument too. So I'm going to come clean with well, my answers. Go ahead. Can I just say something based on mm-hmm. what you said about Fulton Sheen? Mm-hmm. It's it's just so interesting that you that that um, you said that because uh, I posted a quote that I saw today uh, from the Liturgy of the Hours from Saint Ignatius of Antioch, uh, which was one of the church's earliest uh, martyrs, mm-hmm. and and he said our task, our Christian, our task is not one of producing persuasive propaganda, but Christian Christianity shows its greatness. When it is hated by the world, right? Interesting. I literally just read that this morning, and then you just said that. Wow. But I wonder why I, Fulton Sheen. Uh, you know why that is though? Why is that? That's my question. I, I don't. I don't have an answer except that he was a very, very wise man. By the way, we got a shout out from Robert Ramos. Um, he he said to uh, say hi to you. Yes. So, yes. They, he uh, shared it today. Yeah. Okay. So here's my answers, and um, you you can tell me what you think. In terms of the one word that I would use to describe Catholicism, paradox was the word that I came up with. There's so many things about our faith that that seem like contradictions, but they're not contradictions. They're paradox. And uh, mm. and and somebody said, well, okay, give me an example of paradox. Well, have you read Matthew chapter five? <laughs> this is what I said to the person. Have you, have you actually read it? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are hated for my name's sake. That sounds pretty paradoxical to me. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, like uh, what, what, what you just said, you know, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted. He said uh, to his Christians that uh, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me first. He said that right. you will find persecution, uh, you know, uh, in this world, uh, but to take courage because he has overcome the world. Right. person one time that told me 
that said the argument made the argument to me that uh you know that christianity that you know that catholicism uh, was a was was an uh it was you know a, a a man-made fairy tale it was it was created by you know made up by by men and and i said to him i said um excuse me any man that would make up a religion like Catholicism would be a man that would have to absolutely be out of his mind. <laughs> he absolutely would have to be. If I were going to create a religion, I would create a religion where I always win. <laughs> I would create a religion where I get all the stuff at the least amount of effort. I wouldn't create a religion where like Paul says in Colossians chapter one, I rejoice in my sufferings and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for his body of the church. You read that and you're like, what is he saying? Is he crazy? I rejoice in my sufferings. I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. This is why I chose the word paradoxical because it it is and i and i learned this late in life father that there's no contradiction between suffering and joy you can have both present at your life you can have difficulties you can have traumas you can have trials and tribulations and still have joy in your heart because joy is not something that's that's transient joy is not something that slips through your fingers like sand joy is something that's infused in the heart it's something that comes from above. And yeah, that's, amen. that's what I learned about Catholicism. I had to I had to learn to embrace the difference between happiness and joy. And boy, the saints <laughs> how long of a list of saints could I give you that experienced that, that understood that? Saint John of the Cross, Saint Bernadette. I mean how how many? How long would that list be? I I mean <laughs> I I almost infinite. I mean there's so many yeah. Saints that have suffered so much and yet uh, had such great joy, had an aura of holiness, had great faith in God. Yeah, I don't know why it is that way, you know, why it is, uh, I, I mean, to use your word, paradoxical or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I did an episode a couple months ago with Dr. Peter Kreeft uh, asking about this very question, you know, about this, you know, suffering, the meaning of suffering and why, you know, and ultimately in the end, I mean, we just can't really fathom it with our feeble minds, but it, you know, it wouldn't make any sense if Christ himself did not suffer. Being persecuted wouldn't make any right. sense if God himself was not persecuted. Right. So, you know, we are the body of Christ, and if they did it to him, then it's going to happen to us as well, because we are one with him. But we right. know that the suffering, and the, the suffering and the persecution does not have the final say. It doesn't. There is triumph. There is victory. You know, this is uh, this too shall pass, if you will. Right. And that was my argument for the second question that I asked when I said I can only make one argument. Why Catholicism versus all of these other uh, uh, denominations? I know Catholicism is not a denomination. Catholicism is the true faith that precedes all the denominations. But why would I choose Catholicism all over all of those? And and my answer was, it's the only one that makes sense out of suffering. The only one that makes sense out of it. Um, yeah. And 
the EP I, right I heard, there. I heard someone ask ask me a, a, a question one time. Um, well, well I, I'm sorry. I asked this person a question one time. I said, why did Jesus have to suffer? Why, why did Jesus have to suffer? Why did Jesus have to die? He said, well, he, he suffered and died in my place. I said, so it's totally substitutionary? He said, yeah. I said, okay. I said, so do you have a life without suffering? And they said, well, no. And I said, well, are you still going to die? And they said, well, yeah. Well, that didn't seem to work out very well for you then, did it? <laughs> I said, mm. So the idea of this complete substitution, you know, uh, it, it, it's not quite it. <laughs> it's not quite it. I said, let me okay. ask you this. I said, I said, why was Jesus baptized? And he said, I, I don't know. I said, well, what, what, what does baptism do? Baptism washes away our sins, right? Well, Jesus didn't have any uh, didn't have any sins, so why did he need to be baptized? And, and the person looked at me with a blank look, said, I don't know. I said, well, Jesus baptized the water. <laughs> Jesus was baptized. Yeah. Jesus was baptized in order to give it value. Otherwise, it was just somebody being dunked in the water, which my older brother did to me numerous times when I was a kid. Didn't have any value to me. <laughs> he used to dunk me under the water all the time. Um, but Jesus <laughs> gave it value. Okay? So I asked him again. I said, well, then, I said, why did Jesus have to suffer? And he said, well, I don't know. I said, same reason. He gave it value. He gave it value. And that's what Catholicism is the treasure to me. It's because all of us are going to have to suffer, Father, at some time or another. It's not like... You know, a lot of people got this crazy idea about Catholics. We're going out looking for opportunities to flagellate ourselves and suffer. No, not so, not so. But we know that suffering is going to come into the world for each person at some point or another. You're going to suffer in some way. Well, I don't suffer in vain, though, Father. I know my suffering has value. And that's the source of the joy for me. Yeah, so I, I, that's well put. Very well put. So that's why that's why I I gave that as 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 the reason. And then uh, I started actually reading a couple of years ago. I started actually reading the works of the saints and started reading. Wow, <laughs> uh, some some of these books just are just. I mean, they're just beyond a dark night of the soul by St. John of the Cross is one of the ones that hit me like a Mack truck. Really? Um, you read the whole thing? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, God bless I, you. I, I read, well, <laughs> I read the complete works of St. Catherine Emmerich. I read the complete uh, Mystical City of God by um, uh, Maria Vagretta. Uh, I Yeah, I've gone on quite a binge, but Dark Knight of the Soul really impacted me. Uh, one of the arguments that he made that would just – it just – Father, I got to tell you, this argument overwhelmed me. It absolutely overwhelmed me. He explored the reason why Jesus cried out from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I remember as a kid – reading that and scratching my head saying, wait a minute, how is this possible? How could God 
cry out to God that he was forsaken by God because that's essentially what the verse is saying. How is this possible? And St. John of the yeah. Cross St. John of the Cross says that in some mystical way that we can't quite fathom or understand drew from his divinity during those moments so that he could plunge himself completely and totally, immerse himself completely and totally to experience the suffering of what it feels like to be abandoned or to feel like you're abandoned by God. In order to experience that deep suffering, that deep pain, he had to withdraw himself in some way from his divinity. And he made that deep black sorrow. And if anybody's ever experienced it, and I have, it's it's black. It's just it it is the most it is the greatest loneliness in the world, Father, to feel like you've been abandoned by God. Yeah. And Jesus experienced that. that for Jesus experienced that for me in order to make it holy. John of the Cross says it is because of what Jesus did there that at the moment that you feel abandoned by God is the very moment that he's closest to you. I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> I almost <laughs> fell. That is so powerful, isn't it? Yeah, very, very, very powerful. And, very uh, powerful. And you don't... I, I mean, I, I've, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Um, not to cut you off, but if it wasn't for being in some extremely dark times, extremely terrifying, um, I, I don't think that I'd be here talking to you today. I, I certainly wouldn't be a devout practicing Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's through those trials and those tribulations that I've come to know God a lot more. Mm-hmm. And thank God for that. Well, when we lived in New Jersey, we went through some horrific stuff, absolutely horrific stuff. And the scars of what we experienced still reverberate now, even though we we moved out of New Jersey 16 years ago. Um, Where, Where are you at now? The scars of what we of what we experienced, we had to send a family member to prison for 20 years. Oh, um, and it was, I'll just say it was some of the most horrible stuff that you could think of without me going into detail. You think of some of the most horrible stuff you can think of. And it was some of that stuff. Um, and, and, and yet I have never been closer to God than I am right now. And, um, I I've gotten to the point where I have, I I truly believe, I don't just say it because it's rhetoric. I truly believe in my heart and soul that God is able to bring good out of even this, this horrific stuff. And Father, if I didn't believe that, I couldn't go on. Not just because of the stuff in, in my life, but the world that I see around me when I see abortion and, 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 and this, this, sickening 
culture of perversion is they're trying to force on our kids and these things like school shootings, like somebody walking into a school and, and murdering a bunch of children. I couldn't go on if I didn't believe that in the, in the great balance of things in ways that we can't comprehend and fathom, um, the great God is a God of justice. He's a God of justice, and um, those who suffer greatly will be rewarded greatly. And those who do um, great harm and great evil, though sometimes in this world they seem like they get a pass, uh, they're they're really deceiving themselves because uh, unless they repent, unless they turn away from that evil, their day of justice is coming. But I look at I, I, you know, and I've been to um, services at other churches, and and you know, my my best friend of 45 years passed away earlier this year, and uh, and and I gave the eulogy at his at at his funeral, and um, so I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of different people uh, of of a lot of different faith, but Father, there's there's just no comparison to a Christmas midnight mass. There's no comparison to the Easter vigil. Um, and and to me, the greatest test of my faith, you know, people, people, I love what James says. James says, well, you say that you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. I, I love how he says that because what what good is a, a, a profession of faith? If it's not tested And Every week in mass My faith is tested When I approach that priest And the priest elevates the host And that's why I played your little clip there At the beginning Because the priest elevates that host And my lying eyes are telling me It's a piece of bread That's what my lying eyes are telling me But my faith has subdued my lying eyes Because I know what it is and not what it is. It's not a what. It's a who. Amen. Yeah, I mean, yesterday we just had the solemnity of the body and the blood of our Lord. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, we don't believe in, in somebody that, you know, we just follow a teaching. We don't just believe that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a philosopher. Uh, you know, we believe that he is Christ. And, you know, that, that he wanted us to be in union with him and in communion with him. And he says in John fifteen fifteen, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I will abide in you. He says, you know, um, uh, uh, that, you know, yeah, I am, without me you can do nothing. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Well, how do we do that? So we're a religion of literally of being in union with, of being in communion with, not just just follow. And so God wants to be in us and for us to be in him. And that's why he gave us the Eucharist. That's why he gave us the Eucharist. He said, take this, all of you eat of it. Take this, all of you drink of it. This is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And he left us uh, and made himself available to us in the breaking of the bread so that we don't have to go without him any day or every day. Literally in the Our Father, we say, our, you know, give us this day our daily bread. And we are uh, capable of receiving Jesus Christ in the Eucharist every single day. He said, I am the true bread from heaven. Uh, my flesh is true, true, uh, true um, 
my, my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Uh, you must eat uh, the flesh of the, and drink the blood of the Son of Man to have eternal life mm-hmm. in you. The Eucharist is the source and the summit of our entire Christian faith, you know? Um, so, yeah, without that, I mean, forget it. I can't, I don't want to just go and just listen, you know, of course, I want to listen to the Word of God or, you know, to praise Him, of course, yes. But the Eucharist, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So um, that, that's what it's about. You know, we're about being in union with him, not just following a philosophy or a teaching or a teacher, um, right. but about, you know, him being in us and us being in him. Right. And, you know, a, a lot of people think that, you know, well, you have to you have to suspend your 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 belief in science. You have to check your belief in science at the door. Science confirms Catholicism. It ha- absolutely does. In fact, um, I was kind of making this case to someone the other day. Um, and and this is uh, you. You want to talk about a statistical anomaly? In every Eucharistic miracle that has ever been documented in the Catholic Church, the blood type has been the same. A B positive. Okay. Only about four percent of people in the world have A B positive blood. So. What would statistically be the odds of one of the seven members of our apostolate having AB positive blood, if you worked it out as a math problem, when only 4% of people in the world have that type of blood? Well, as astounding as that is, two of the seven members of our apostolate are AB positive blood. That's a, that's a pretty remarkable thing, I think. Um, the interesting thing the about uh, Michael C. Benko, who actually lives in uh, New Jersey, uh, and the other one is um, uh, our apologist, uh, William Hemsworth, who is... Oh, uh, okay, okay. But you're saying the same exact blood type of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. AB positive, yeah. Yeah, because he's a, he's a truly a man. Yeah. Yeah, those you yeah, I would definitely look into those Eucharistic miracles for the now, for your listeners. Uh this this is a thing that's that's uh, amazing that I try I explained to someone. Somebody somebody said, Well, you know what you what you Catholics say, well that's cannibalism. No, no it's not. Because cannibalism is eating the flesh of a dead person and that dead flesh becomes part of you. We don't receive eat the flesh of a dead person. We receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity, the complete person of the living Jesus. And the other difference is that he is not incorporated into us. We are incorporated into him. And I said, and the biggest proof of that is, do you know the unique thing about AB positive blood, Father? No, I've heard something about it. It's extremely rare and unique. Uh-huh. Well, it's like oh, no, I said. No, 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 no. It's a universal. It's a universal for anybody to use it. It is, it is, well, it is the universal receiver. A person who is AB positive can receive anybody, any other blood type. It's not a universal donor, but it's a universal receiver. 
Isn't that interesting that Jesus would have the blood type that can receive the blood of anyone else? Isn't that astounding? Well, yeah, I guess it would have been <laughs> more astounding if he, if he was a universal donor because that's exactly what he did. It, it's just, I mean, it, and, and we have these miracles, um, you know, not only these Eucharistic miracles, but we have, I mean, we have Lourdes, we have Fatima, we have, you know, Guadalupe, explain to me the, 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 the cloak of Juan Diego. Uh, it, it just and and there's this idea among Christians, Father, that all the miracles ended with the death of the last apostle. Where, where do they get this idea? The Bible says no such thing. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of people that uh, that believe a lot of things that, that you know about the Bible that aren't true. So, I mean, that's like opening up Pandora's box there. But, yeah, I mean, right. you know, we, we could debate about it for days. But, you know, the Bible itself doesn't say that, you know, Scripture, well, a lot of people are like, Scripture, you know, Scripture alone, you know, solo scriptura, right. you know, only Scripture. But even Scripture is right. actually tradition. Scripture mm-hmm. is written down tradition. Yep. You know, it, the Bible didn't just come out of heaven. You know, it was written down by right. by by uh, his followers, and right. he, he, even um, the you know the Word of God said this himself. You know, at the end of John, that Jesus did many other works that not even all the libraries in the world could fill them. Right. You know, we don't hear about all that. So yeah, Scripture. I've done about twenty five debates online on, on the air. I've done about twenty five debates. Uh, defending Catholicism, and four of them were on Sola Scriptura because I, I just believe that that is – I believe Sola Scriptura is the foundation. That's the absolute foundation that if you take that down, everything else falls down with it because it's the house of sand that everything else they believe in is built upon. And um, in the in the last uh, debate I had, I, I, I asked the lady two questions that she could not answer, two questions that, that – that that Florida and the first question is okay using scripture alone tell me the 27 books in the new testament canon and then, and wow. then the second yeah and then the second thing is i said using scripture alone tell me how the council of jerusalem came to the decision that they came to the scripture alone folks were wrong in that argument because <laughs> there was no scriptural basis for doing away with circumstances circumcision but the apostles understood they understood you know that baptism was the new circumcision they understood how the old covenant was was fulfilled and and the the bible alone folks didn't understand that you can't possibly understand the bible without the church Um, to me it's i look at the giants of our church father to me, the arrogance that would that that I would have to engage in to put myself on the same level as as an Aquinas, an Augustine, uh, Jerome, John Chrysostom, <laughs> these these giants, uh, you know, the arrogance that I would have to engage in to even put myself in the same league as those guys um, would be just beyond what I'm what I'm really 
capable of. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we just have to keep plugging along, and we just have to try to be, you know, joyful witnesses of our faith so that people will ask us, you know, what is the reason for your hope? What is the reason for your joy? You know, it can't be something purely intellectual. They're, they need to know that there's something different about us just by the way that we live our life, maybe by the order that surrounds us because of our prayer, because of Christ is in, is in us. You know, I mean, uh, the, the academic stuff, the learning, the education, the catechizing, extremely important. But we need to be people of prayer. We need to, yeah. be, we need to be people uh, who are on fire with the, with the love of God, you know, within us. That they don't just meet us, but they meet Christ within us. So, yeah. you know, I, I get into arguments online a lot, and sometimes, you know, I, I take the bait when people have, say this about, you know, the Eucharist or about Catholicism or about priests and, and, you know, but it just robs me of my peace. It robs me of my joy. And I'm not sure mm. if I'm, you know, if I've helped anybody, you know, I need to try to yeah. just be a joyful, loving witness. And, and you're right. It is, it's very, very difficult because there are a lot of uh, denominations and sects that, um, that just hurled venom at 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 the Catholic Church. I mean just it's just have this this hatred towards us, this animosity towards us that's uh you know that's very very difficult and it's and, and it's you know it's it's very very difficult to me frankly father I'll be honest with you to 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 remain quiet to remain calm when I hear that priest is a child molester and the Catholic Church killed a hundred million people during the Middle Ages and you, you know, Mary is a goddess, and uh, you know, all, just all this nonsense. It's very, very easy to get riled until I, I take a step back and say, if not for the grace of God, there go I. Everything that I know is not my own. Everything that I've been given is not my own. If if the Lord was pleased to to give me this knowledge, to give me this grace. What can I say but thank you? I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to to uh, to achieve it on my own. And uh, so, you know, I guess the most important things in our Catholic faith is is obedience and humility. Obedience and humility, and and God will fill in the rest, right? Yeah, obedience, humility, perseverance, prayer. Prayer and community, and community, 100%. 100%. And uh, I read uh, one of the books that I read, and I, I thought I loved this, this formula. I love the way they put, they put it. It was a, it was a, it's a manual for Eucharistic adoration uh, because I was trying to get more out of Eucharistic adoration. And they have what they call the, the arts formula. Have you ever – Heard that term? That the art formula, arts. Yes, A R T S, arts formula, and that that's what your prayer should follow, is the arts formula, and that would be the A is adoration, the R is reparation, the T is thanksgiving, and the S is supplication. Um, and and I'm guilty as charged. I'm guilty as charged as being one of those people that. That pray to God with my Santa Claus list, <laughs> but uh, 
go 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 yeah. straight to the Santa Claus list. God, can you do this for me? God, can you give me that? God, can you do this? Um, adoration, reparation, thanksgiving should come first. We should remember who we're talking to. We should remember what he's done for us. We should remember the tremendous debt that we have to him. And it, it really transformed my my prayer life. I, I do have to be honest with you. It, it 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 transformed a lot. It added a lot of meaning and a lot of depth to it. Yeah, I mean, we have to be people of prayer, you know? Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, you know, we could say prayers and we could petition and we could ask, you know, um, but for me, uh, being in silence, taking the time to be quiet in the presence of the Lord. You know, um, God speaks the loudest to us in the language of silence. And while it's important, yeah, we could talk to him. We could, we could say things to him. We, you know, he wants to hear from us 100%. But we also need to learn to listen. We really do. Because yeah. God has a lot that he wants to say to us as well. You know, uh, I would encourage people daily to not just talk to him but to practice the art of listening to him and ask the Holy Spirit to guide them and to lead them in that way. Yeah, Father, I, I have an interesting story about that. One of the wisest people I know, I went to her several years ago about this very question. And I, and I said, her name is Christy. And I said, Christy, I said, I, I get so frustrated. I pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And, and, I, and I ask God, you know, what is it you want me to do? What is it? What is it you're trying to tell me? What is it? Where are you leading me? And I said, and Christian, I hear nothing. I hear nothing. I go to adoration and I hear nothing. I'm silent and I hear nothing. And she said to me, Father, she says, when you hear nothing, God is saying something to you very, very powerful. And I said, what, Christy? What is he saying to me? And she said, he's saying, you have to trust me. That was yeah, powerful. You got to go deeper. That yeah. was powerful. You, you're, and, and, and then um, a few days later, I was actually going to mass um, at uh, Christendom College in Front Royal, Virginia. And I was crying out to God, God. Show me the way. Show me the way. What is it that you want me to do? And I looked up at the stained glass, and there at the bottom of the stained glass, it said, it were the words emblazoned, Son, give me your heart. Which told me, Father, yeah. that that's what I was not doing. I was not surrendering. I wanted all the answers. I want, What am I supposed to do? I want the answers. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. Uh Surrender is a big part of prayer. It is. It is. Uh, <laughs> I was given a surrender novena, a novena a couple of years ago. It was really powerful. But yeah, even when it feels like he's not there or that you know he's abandoned us, I mean, we could be like the Lord, Lord, you know, um, into your hands. Uh, I commend my spirit. I, I believe that you're here. You know, uh, even Christ, uh, in a certain sense, uh, felt the lonely. And abandoned, even though he had some great, great trust. You mentioned the dark night of the soul before, you know, just oh, feeling like God is nowhere to be found. And yet he's one of the greatest saints ever. You know, the, the thing yeah. is that 
you know, spiritual desolation will always be followed by spiritual consolation. You know, we just have to hang in there. Now, the dark night of the soul is something certainly different than, you know, spiritual desolation. Um, but this too shall pass. God will never abandon us, you know. Uh, so just keep persevering in the prayer and in community. Um, and, uh, you know, the Lord will provide. He will provide for his children. Seek Father, the we kingdom got... of God. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go, you go. Uh, we just have a couple more minutes left, and, and we're backed up against it because we've got a time, a time limit coming up at, at 7. So I want you to spend the last few minutes talking about what, what you're doing. What is, what is this holy mess and your YouTube channel and all this stuff? It's a it's a lot of fun. Tell everybody about it. Oh man, you waited to the end. All right. So, uh, and I'm sorry if I was a little distracted, but all of a sudden, like uh, the uh, I, I guess there's uh, something going on right outside my window. The cops are outside, um, so I was like very distracted. I didn't understand what was going on, but uh, the secretary just told us that they they have to do. Um, uh, there's, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so I started a, a podcast called A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, uh, Father Paul, A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess. We're about 36, 37 episodes in, uh, started in October. Uh, you know, I like podcasts. Uh, I, I was listening to them. I'm like, you know, I would, I would like to do something myself. So, you know, I'm a silly guy. I'm a, a former stand-up comic. Um, actually, I continue. I actually do stand-up comedy today too. But when I when I say former, like that's what I wanted to do for my for my life. Uh, my dream was to become a famous comedian and an actor, and I was pursuing a career in that. And then I ended up having a hardcore reversion back to Catholicism, and you know ended up feeling called to the priesthood, and went to the seminary, and you know by the grace of God was ordained and everything like that. Um, but, you know, I, I like to be funny. I like entertainment. I like humor. So, you know, it, it kind of just happens naturally by the grace of God. Um, but I also want to spread it, you know, uh, through certain things like the podcast or like doing stand-up comedy today. So I do do stand-up comedy for Catholic groups or Catholic parishes or fundraisers. And I also have a weekly podcast called A Holy Mess with his Holy Mess. I'm not His Holiness, the Pope, but I am His Holy Mess. So I want people to know that holiness is very possible in a very messy world. We live in a very messy world, and this is where we find God. And He doesn't just come in the world to clean up our mess, but He takes our mess, He redeems it, and He uses it. And He turns our mess into a beautiful message of hope. So, you know, I'm a mess. I'm a holy mess, but I'm a Catholic priest. God has called me, right? And so I am who I am, as St. Paul says. Uh, I, I, I'm a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a silly guy. I'm a serious guy. Um, I'm certainly a Catholic priest, but I like uh, to have joy, and I like to laugh, and I want other people, as you started out this uh, radio show tonight, talking about uh, that I try to bring the joy into it. And, yeah, I mean, and I'm certainly not the only one. There's so many people that are doing great things you know, uh, like, you know, Chris Stefanik, Justin Fatika, so on and so on. So um, that's my deal. I love it. Uh, and, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm a Catholic priest. I have an assignment, and I, you know, obviously say Mass and do the sacraments, but I, which is the more important thing, I'm the Catholic chaplain for one of our big Catholic cemeteries, Gate of Heaven in East Hanover, New Jersey. But on the side, I have a podcast, and I do Catholic stand-up comedy. 
Father, this hour went way too fast. I'd love to have you back on again, and uh, and and if I have you back on again, we'll spend the whole hour talking about everything that you're doing. It was such a joy to have you on, and uh, I just like I said, the hour went way too fast, and I want to thank you so much for coming on. All right, well, thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks for having me on. God bless. Have a wonderful week. All right, take care. Top Gun. Top Gun of Virginia has been serving the East Coast with quality swimming pool shot creek and gunite applications for over 35 years. The strong legacy of craftsmanship that Top Gun has garnered is backed by the pride we take in creating a lasting product. Top Gun will help you stay on schedule and within budget while still maintaining the level of quality control and safety that is expected from a name with 35 years of experience. Top Gun. Top Gun of Virginia is a premier supplier of commercial Shotcrete and Gunite services on the East Coast. Shotcrete and Gunite are forms of pneumatically applied concrete which can be used to build or repair structures. Shotcrete and Gunite can perform jobs which are not possible or are more difficult with traditional form and pour concrete applications. Top Gun uses our own volumetric trucks to apply engineer-certified mixes of both wet and dry process applications to meet any need. Top Gun Top Gun is located at 10017 Richmond Highway, Lorton, Virginia, 22079. You can reach them at 703-550-9207 or email them at info at topgungunite.com. Make sure you mention that you heard this ad on the 4Persons Podcast.